join me in the book of Galatians chapter 3. We're going to start in uh, verse 15 today. If, if you're visiting with us and, and you're just catching on to the, we're in the middle section of this book together, uh, within a few weeks we'll, we'll come to the conclusion of it. But there, there's something I, I would like to encourage you to do if, if, you've, if you've just joined in on Galatians or, or this is just the first couple of messages is all you've heard. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the entire series. And what we do is we walk through the book of Galatians verse by verse for an explanation on what it's communicating to us. And the reason I would encourage you to do that is because there is no, there's no single book in the Bible that I believe is more powerful and more impactful to the salvation that Jesus brings into our life and the understanding of how important that is for us as believers. I think other books of the Bible talk about it, but the book of Galatians is just one condensed powerhouse. And if you can get through the book of Galatians and understand it, the the liberty it gives you in your Christian life is is incomparable. And and the reason is is Paul writes this book from a a religious perspective. He, He recognizes within the community of the church of Galatia that religion is creeping in and what it's doing is it's robbing them of their joy in Christ. And, and, and the reason it's robbing them of their joy is because they have fallen short of, the, of understanding the very foundation of what Jesus has done for them. And without that first step on the right foot in your relationship with Christ, it can lead you into despair, it can lead you in, into fear, it can lead you into, into pride in living a law of, of religion rather than enjoying your relationship with Jesus. And in fact, the theme that we focus on together in the book of Galatians comes in chapter 5 and verse 1 where Paul just declares, Christ has set you free. You look at the the idea of the context as Paul writes within these passages of of Scripture, within these verses, the, the, the force that he's carrying behind the statements that he's making are powerful. I mean, he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, Galatians, who has, who has bewitched you? Who in the world has fooled your mind into thinking that religion is the answer? Or in, in, in chapter 1, he, he says this religious thinking is, is anathema, it's unredeemable, it's curse. And he, he goes on to tell us that, that if righteousness in the end of chapter 2 could, could be achieved through the law, then, then Christ died needlessly. But through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And Paul gets to chapter 3 and verse 15 of the book of Galatians, and, and he really begins to address now the bad theology and where it originates in the church of Galatia as it's being presented, and really how to view the Bible correctly. In essence, what Paul is about to do in the end of chapter 3 is to explain to the church how to view the Old Testament better than the Jews viewed the Old Testament. And so this morning, if you're here and you're thinking, you know, I, the Old Testament is just weird stuff to me. I don't, I don't get it quite yet. I don't know what it's about. I want to say this morning is great for you because Paul just lays the foundation for the way that God desires to work throughout the rest of human history. And so Paul begins to explain to the Galatians what this Jewish history is about. And the second is this. I, I, I think if you come to this text this morning in Galatians chapter 3, as far as it relates to theology, in your relationship to Christ and salvation by grace in Him alone, there, are, there is no more powerful book in the Bible than Galatians chapter 3. I would tag on to that. Romans chapter 3 follows in a mirror image of what Galatians chapter 3 is about. But if you want to understand what Jesus did for you, and you want to understand that to the point that you can communicate that with other people, then the passages of Scripture that you should fall in love with and understanding that in theological terms is Romans chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 3. 
mean, if you've come to find the Lord and you're thinking, man, I, I want to understand this so I can share it with my, my family or talk to my friends about it, this is where you sit. This is where you camp and begin to understand what Paul is communicating here. This, the message that we shared last week in introducing chapter 3 and the message that we'll share this week to conclude chapter 3. Now, if you're like me, I would say this. I, I love theology, but I also like stories. I like to hear what, how the Lord takes the theology and makes it applicable to our lives. And so it's important as you share the theology of what Jesus has done that you also make it personal. But Paul begins this journey with the Galatians in chapter 3 of the book in verse 15, explaining to them what Jewish history really is all about. And the idea is this, you can't fully understand what God is doing until you understand what God has done. He's looking at the Galatians and he's just, saying, he's just, you get the thought that he's just got his hands, his head in his hands and he's just shaking his head thinking, you, you poor people. I mean, you got people telling you what you need to think and, and perverting what scripture says and you're just, you're just so lost. I mean, if you really want to understand what it's all about, let me just explain where we've gone wrong, how we understand the Old Testament, right? So when we look at the New Testament, we come into it wanting a relationship with Jesus and feeling the liberty in that and and not the performance of religion and the fear that it brings or the pride that it creates in our lives by performance. And so you can't understand what God is doing until you begin to understand what God has done. God likes to indicate the way he's going to move in the future. I mean, he's like the Babe Ruth of the Bible. He calls his shots, and he hits the home run. He lets you know, it's going out there. Don't even bother catching it. I'm just going to show you where I'm about to declare the shot to go. And the Lord identifies that for us. He works within his nature. And so Paul begins in explaining the book of Galatians to us, and he calls the shots, and he says, listen, this is, this is how you need to understand the, New Test- or the Old Testament to get to the right place of what Jesus wants to do in your life. And he says this in verse 15, brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. To begin to understand the Old Testament, the, the idea that Paul camps on is, is, is the, the word covenant. What it means to us in light of, of who God is. And he, and he begins to share this thought of covenants and how important it is to man, but he quickly turns in verse 16 to the covenant that God made with Abraham. And, and a covenant is very simple, uh, very simply put, a, a sacred contract between two parties. Typically, the way that a covenant would work is there is one who gives the blessing of the covenant, one who receives the blessing of the covenant, and and oftentimes within a covenant, there are stipulations placed where where the one who receives the blessing, if if you abide by these things, then then I will give you the blessing in the covenant. And so God makes this covenant with us. God establishes his Old Testament upon the idea of the thinking of a covenant, and the interesting thing about when a covenant was established in the Old Testament is, is shortly after the covenant was made, the two parties would then take animals and they would literally sacrifice them and separate them. And the two who went into this contract or agreement, this covenant together, they would walk between the separated body of the animal or animals that were sacrificed. And the statement that they thought of as they walked through and established this covenant was, may this be done to me if I do not keep my oath. Think about the seriousness of this covenant. Looking at 
the dead body of an animal passing through this. I would not encourage this as a church to participate in. When they pass it through this, PETA would come after you. And, um, and it's just gross. But they would pass through this and, and with the thinking of, let this happen to me if I do not keep my end of this oath. It was a covenant. When you read the Old Testament in the life of Abraham, it says this. He said, O Lord, God, how may I know that I may possess it? He's talking about the promise that God's given him. God gave Abraham three promises. He promised land to live in, seed, and blessing. He says, Lord, how do I know that you're going to give this to me to possess it? He says, so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. So what's happening in this passage of Scripture is that God is about to make a covenant with Abraham. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to create a nation from you, and and you're going to have land, and you're going to have seed, and you're going to have blessing. You follow me, and your people will be blessed. And and the seed, you'll see in verse 16, isn't just the seed of multiple people or an entire nation. He tells Abraham that from your seed, all nations will be blessed, and from your seed, a seed will come who is Jesus. So God gives this promise to Abraham. He he gets ready to, to set this covenant in place with Abraham, but then this interesting thing takes place in verse 12. It tells us in the Bible that Abraham falls asleep. And so if you know anything about the covenant and what takes place, you're thinking, man, that is just, he's crazy. He's making a covenant with God. The boy needs to get up and walk through this, all right? That is what you do, especially when it's God. But Abraham falls asleep. And so the passage goes on and tells us in verse 17, it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. As you read the Old Testament, you find that the way God appears to the nation of Israel is uh, often by fire by night and, and smoke cloud by day. It's the appearance that he has chosen to manifest himself to the people of Israel. And you get to this covenant and you read it and you know how covenants are supposed to take place and all of a sudden you read this covenant that God made with Abraham and it just floors you on what God did. Because Abraham never walked through the animal. Abraham never had any conditions back to God. God allowed Abraham to fall asleep and God alone walked through the animals offering himself to Abraham in covenant relationship with him, not dependent on Abraham at all. I mean, if you would see this and you were to make a covenant in your life, this is the kind of covenant you want. Nothing on me, please. It's like winning the lottery. Wow. I mean, you're floored at what God's just done. Paul comes to the Jewish nations and the people of Galatia and he says, when you think of God, this is the way you need to think of him. Not in terms of religion, not in terms of working for your acceptance, but in terms of working from your acceptance. You don't earn God's love. God has already walked through the dead animals for you. His love has already been extended and all you did was sleep. God's love is given. He goes on to explain that in verse 16. He says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. 
He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is, that is Christ. Paul is signifying something different than the law of the Old Testament. He's contrasting, and you'll see it in verse 18, both law and promise now. He said, you know what was given to Abraham? It wasn't, it wasn't law. It was promise. Law works like this. There is one in authority who gives his subjects rules they are to obey. And it's up to the subjects to obey it. Promise works like this. There is one in authority who offers a, a promise to his subjects. And he just offers a promise. Promise isn't up to your responsibility. It's up to the one who offers it. And so he's saying to us and recognizing what Abraham has done. He says, it's come to you not as law, not as, not as you earning it, but, but it's been delivered to you as a promise based on the goodness of who Christ is in your life. And so he goes on in, in verse 17 and he says this, what am, I am saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. Once, once a covenant is made, a, a covenant can't be destroyed. And, and if Israel thinks they're earning their favor in God, how is Israel doing that when Israel existed for over 400 years before there was even a law? It's by the promise. And so he goes on and says in verse 18, for if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Translated for us, there's a contrasting in that verse between what law is and what promise is, and, and Paul is telling us it comes to us by promise. And the thought that Paul is carrying in the context of these passages is this. Jesus is faithful to you and he loves you regardless of you. Now, I know Jesus sees worth in you because he wouldn't have laid down his life for you. But it has nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with him. So the Bible tells us that God is love. And the nature of love is about giving itself away. And as he designed you as a creature, he made you in his image and he lavished his love upon you and he's put his spirit within you. And so when Jesus thinks about you, he comes to you and loves you, not because of anything that you've done, but because of who he is, he desires to extend that love to you. And so God is faithful to you and loves you regardless of you. No matter what law you want to place on it to think that you find a way to make yourself more acceptable. You can never do anything to make yourself more acceptable than, than what Christ has already done to find acceptance in you by giving his life for you. Paul then gets to an important part. He says this, that's the way that you need to view the Old Testament is Abraham didn't do anything. He just put faith in the God who would. And in verse 19, he then begins to ask questions. It happens in 19 and verse 21. Then why have a law? The law seems unimportant. If not, you're undermining it anyway. I mean, it's not even a big deal. And so Paul asks the questions. He poses the questions I can imagine before the Jewish people. Okay, Paul, then give an account for the law. It exists. We've got to do something with it. And so in verse 19, he says this, why then the law? Interesting question. Let's answer it in just a minute. And then he says this, verse 21, 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? If you're saying Abraham received all of these blessings apart from the law and the Lord and just put faith in it, then the law should be contrary to him. How do you explain that? That's the wrong answer. 
Verse 19, why then? <laughs> why the law then? It was added. It was added because of transgressions. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Paul, again, in this passage begins to, to acknowledge the difference between the law and, and the covenant. And he says this about the law. Listen, the law isn't as important as the covenant that God has made because when the law came in, it came through mediators. It came by angels and it, and it came by Moses. It, it didn't come directly by God. There was mediator work taking place. But the covenant, God is one, the covenant that was made, that came directly from God. And so when you talk about priority and significance in your life, you should say to yourself, you know, what's most important? Well, when God says something, that's pretty important. And Paul's saying, well, why, why then the law? Well, it happened as a mediator, and the reason it came as a mediator is because of transgressions. And so the thought, thank you, Richie. The thought was this, stay off stage. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it became because of transgressions. And the idea is this. A lot of times we live our lives, now nah, all the time we live our lives, and we don't recognize how desperately we really need Jesus. We don't see the significance for what he accomplished on the cross. And Paul even nailed it at the, at the end of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. If righteousness could be achieved through the law, Christ died needlessly. And no matter how many times we say that verse to us, we'll walk out and believe, and I still have to earn God's favor. And I still have to prove my worthiness to him before he accepts me. And Paul's just coming to this place and saying, you want to know why the law exists? The law came into existence so that when people looked at God, they could recognize his holiness. And when people looked at God, they could recognize how lost they are in light of who he is. And they wouldn't trust in themselves. The law isn't to make you feel worthy. The law is to show you you're unworthy. We gave the illustration last week of the police officers. Police officers don't pull you over to tell you great job. They pull you over to tell you when you're a lawbreaker. So you get mad and punch your steering wheel and pay tickets, right? I mean, the law isn't there to make you feel good. The law is there to show you your need for Jesus. So that when you come to Jesus, you can enjoy him for eternity. And so then Paul goes on to say in verse 20, now a mediator is not... For one party, where, oh, excuse me, verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? And then he says this, may it, may it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. No way Jesus is coming dying for your sins if you can do it on your own. So he goes on and says, but the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Meaning when you come to, to, to God, it's not, God, look at this. God, check out what I did. Man, I am amazing. You can't help but love me. Flavor, flavor. No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Aren't I great, God? I'm, I'm offering all of this. And it says, no, if you think you're great, you've not really, you've not looked at the law. I I love what Jesus did with, with the rich young ruler in the New Testament. He's saying, what well, rich young ruler comes to Jesus. What, what can I do, Jesus, to get eternal life and and Jesus tells him, um, obey the Ten Commandments. He says, I've done them all, man. I'm good, right? I, look at me. You can't reject this. And then Jesus says, yeah, we'll sell all your riches. Because your problem 
is coveting. And he points out to the rich young ruler, no matter how good you think that you are, you've fallen short. And when you recognize you've fallen short, and that's the purpose of the cross. Jesus came extending his love to you. If I, if I were to give it to you in the context of Romans, I told you that Romans parallels the book of Galatians. It says this, By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in, in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I added Romans 3.23. It says this, The wages of sin is death. Being justified as a gift by his grace, the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, it's not you, it's a gift that's come come from Christ. And the idea of death in the Bible literally means separated. It doesn't mean cease to exist. In relationship to God, what it's telling you is your relationship to him has been separated. The point of the law is to identify where that separation is. The purpose of the law, if I give you a cheesy illustration, is this. It brings you to a cliff, a cliff where you can make a decision that I'm going to make this leap trusting in myself and religion and philosophy and morality, or I'm going to make this step trusting in Jesus. So when you read the idea of the Old Testament, since we're talking about a little of the Old Testament with Abraham, the the thought goes like this. God, when he created you in the beginning, created you in his image, meaning you bear characteristics of God, all right? God is love. We love. God is joy. We experience joy. We relate to God in that way, and it tells us as God created us in his image, he also breathed his spirit into you, and the purpose of that was different than any other creature. God breathed his spirit into you so that you could connect and commune with him and the characteristics of which identify the similarities of God. We relate to God. That's why we pray and animals don't, right? But the Bible tells us very early on in the book of Genesis that man sinned. And when sin came in Romans 3, so did death. Meaning there exists now a chasm between you and your relationship with God. His holiness is separated by your sin and imperfection. And the thought of religion is perform, 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 and try to demonstrate to God how worthy you are for him to accept you. So you begin to close that chasm and experience the joy of the Lord. And the problem with that is you never know how good is good enough. You're always living in fear before God, hoping that you've done enough. Or you become so proud and arrogant in what you've done that you begin to look down on other people thinking that God should just love you because you're incredible. And the the thought is that Paul carries in the book of Galatians is if that's what you're thinking, and it's, it's so far off from what God's done. God didn't do this based on anything that you've done. God did this based on a covenant. God did this based on a promise. And you were asleep. He loves you that much that in, in the chasm, looking at the other side and the separation that sin has brought, he's come to you and he's died for you, paying for it all so that you can experience him. Christ has set you free. So let me give you this. Watch this. This is great. <laughs> what a cheesy picture. <laughs> But it's so true. And Paul simply answers the question for you. Why then the law? It's just show your need for Jesus. It's so that you can turn and trust in what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross. I mean, Jesus said it best when he hung on the cross and he said, It is finished. What it took 
to buy you that you may experience him. It is finished. So Paul ends the book this way. He goes just through some corrective ways of thinking about the law as it relates to your relationship with, with the Lord. He says this in verse 3, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. So we were living under law, recognizing our need for Jesus and looking for the coming of Jesus. And verse 24, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. It shows you the chasm. It shows you the need for Jesus so that we may be justified by faith. And very important, I'll stop on that word justification for a minute because we talked about two important words in Christianity last week. One is justification and one is sanctification. Justified means how you come to know the Lord, how you're saved in the Lord, how uh, you're declared righteous before the Lord, and sanctifications, how the Lord grows you. And can I tell you this morning as a reminder that none of those things are ever based on your ability. It's always on faith. You trust in Jesus alone for salvation, and you continue to trust in Jesus alone to grow you in him, to mature you in Christ. It's always by faith. It's always through his spirit. It's always trusting in him. And so he says in verse 25, but not now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You're going to see the working of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, how the Spirit has come just to set you free. And the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. It's, it's not you manifesting that fruit in your life. It's, it's the Spirit working in you to manifest that fruit in your life. Your job, always the same. It's not even a job. It's just re- abide in Christ. Abide in Christ that he may grow you. And so it goes on in verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What what does it take to come to the Lord to know him? Well, it's it's faith in Christ. God grants you his kingdom, not based on you, but faith in Christ. It's what Jesus has done. You haven't worked from or for your acceptance, but from your acceptance because of Christ. In verse 27, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. I I use uh, cheesy gap illustrations, and Paul in this verse uses naked illustrations, nudity here. I think he's alluding in this passage back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, they knew that they were what? Naked, right? And then they wore a Halloween costume, or they put on fig leaves. Don't wear that for Halloween. That's that's also, that's biblical, but it's not approved, all right? So so they wore leaves, okay? I guess fig leaves, I don't know. But they, they, they wore leaves and and the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21 um, what happens just previous to that God comes to the garden and he finds them in their nakedness and he exposes them in their nakedness and it tells us in verse 21 that God makes the very first sacrifice in the Bible of a goat translated priestly garments in the Old Testament and it tells us that he he clothes them in that and the idea that Paul is alluding to in this verse is the same concept as what happened to Adam and Eve is what's happening in your life apart from the law. Is that God's made the sacrifice and you were naked. It's kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> but he's clothed you in Jesus. And so he goes on in, in verse 27, excuse me, 28. And he says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, in Christianity we have this this cheesy saying, it's good and it's cheesy, Um, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, meaning Jesus doesn't show any favors. All Jesus is interested in, what Jesus is interested in is your heart. 
and the ground is level at the foot of the cross. As a pastor, sometimes I, I hear this often. People come in and they say, you know, I feel so bad for doing this. I, I, must be, I must be just the world's worst at doing this. Man, I can't believe I messed this up. I, I feel like the only person in the world that's ever done this. And, and I say, to that, I always say, um, you know, really, really you're not. <laughs> you're just the only one being honest about it. The people that struggle with just feeling that acceptance or are feeling like they're a failure and no one else is, uh, this verse speaks into our lives. Reality is, when you feel that way in your life, you're probably on the doorstep of one of the most healthiest experiences that you could go through as a believer in Christ. You're, you're being honest with where you are and, and how you feel in your position before God. What can I tell you? That's exactly what the cross is for. You don't pay for your wrongdoing by feeling guilty about it. The Bible very pointedly doesn't use the word guilty in relationship to that circumstance. What it uses is conviction. There's a difference between feeling bad and feeling guilty and feeling convicted. And the idea is this. Feeling bad, who cares? You can't do anything with that. Feeling convicted does this. When, when you feel convicted, you turn from what's been ruling your heart and, and causing you to feel convicted and you just give it to Jesus because that's what the cross is for. The ground is level at the foot of the cross and Jesus has already paid for it all that you may experience his goodness in your life. And so Paul writes this last verse. He brings it full circle in the illustration for us. He began with Abraham and he ends with Abraham and he says this, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs, according to his promise. Paul shares something very simple about the life of Abraham. Abraham was blessed through land and seed and blessing. And the most important seed that they focused upon was Jesus and the sacrifice he would make for all mankind, blessing all nations. But he says, by faith, if you've trusted, just as Abraham has trusted, you become a seed of Abraham. God's covenant doesn't just extend to Abraham. It was a covenant made to all generations through the seed of Abraham. And it all, I should say, rests on Jesus. And the thought we carry as we walk away from this text is this. It's not the power of your faith that makes you strong. It's the object of your faith that makes you strong. It's not the power of the laws that you believe that makes you right. It's the power of Jesus who transforms your life. If I said it differently, I would say, who cares how much you believe if that belief will never hold you up? If that belief can't hold you, that belief isn't worth holding on to. Paul comes to the Galatian church. He comes into a church that's thinking incorrectly to the nature of what Christ has done for them. He just says, you know, based on what Jesus has done and hearing what you guys are communicating, you've, you've just got a wrong picture from the beginning of what God desired to do for you. 
And until you get the picture of what God's done right, you're not going to get the picture of what God wants to do right. And so the important part is to see from the beginning with Abraham, as your Bible begins to declare, Jesus has always come and planned to die for you. Abraham, it was never dependent upon him. It was always dependent upon the promise and the covenant that Jesus has given you despite you. He loves you that much that regardless of, of your past and, and baggage and skeletons and closet, whatever, he, he created you to know him for eternity and he desires for you to still know him for eternity. And if you just look at the gap between you and your relationship with God and quit trusting in self and start looking to Jesus and the acceptance that he brings to you, Christ sets you free. So the accomplishment this morning. I hope it's twofold for us. I hope one, you've got a good picture of the way God communicated through the Old Testament into the New. And two is this. I pray you become people of Galatians 3. If you're here today and you're struggling in what it means to come to know Christ and how Jesus has set you free, this text is the text that sets you free in Christ. And if you come and and you know the Lord and you want to live for the Lord in this world, this text is the text that you wrestle with and you understand and you communicate to this world so that as Jesus has set you free, Jesus may set this world free in him. I had a friend once who came to this text with me and he was sharing his testimony. And he, he told me, you know, he was a person that grew up in a, in a religious setting and thought, you know, he and God were okay because he did a little bit better than, than most people in life and he wasn't a bad kid except, except when his mom made rules. And, and he met in high school a, a young guy who at his time was in his 20s who came to him and began to share the gospel with him. And, and he began to communicate Galatians 3 with him. And for the first time, he saw the chasm. And for the first time, he saw the beauty of Christ and the extent of God's love that's come to him. And he embraced it. Afterwards, that man came to him and he shared with him a song that he had sung. It's a song he woke up every morning and he sang it thinking about the people that God would allow him to encounter throughout the day. And this guy, in sharing the story, he then, weird moment, breaks out in song for me. (laughs) And he said this, do you know, to start my day off right, thinking about the Lord, I always start with this song. It goes like this. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I always do my part to win that soul for me. Excuse me, for thee. should not be me. <laughs> but the thought is first this morning. By the way, that wasn't me. <laughs> I wasn't the kid that <laughs> had this song sung. But um, the thought for us this morning is if you know the Lord, you can look at this passage and just be like, one and done, baby. We're out of here. I got it, you know. But the thought is the reason that it exists within the context of Scripture so that it didn't die with the church of Galatians, but it lived on in communication of his church throughout all generations. This is your story shared with other people throughout the world. 
And so my prayer for us this morning, we're going to do this together. Ready? We're going to sing this song. Asking the Lord to use us to reach hearts. Let's sing. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I always do my part to win that soul for Thee. I pray you guys use this text to demonstrate the goodness of who Christ is in this world in light of people who ache to know what Jesus has done.